Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe. I am excited to be joined by Jay Neiman, assistant defensive line coach and defensive recruiting coordinator for Iowa football. Jay, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Does that title fit on one line of the business card? You know, that's a long one. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit longer than most you see, but uh, yeah, we squeezed it in there in pretty good shape. <laughs> Well, one thing that's interesting about your background that I don't think gets highlighted a lot is that you're a former head coach and you're a former defensive coordinator. So wanted to talk a little bit about how you see things in games. So walk me through, if you're watching a play from up in the booth, what are you looking for pre-snap, during snap, or during the play, post-play, all of that? Right. Well, as you probably know, everybody has a role. We've got lots of eyes on the field. The coaches that are down there on the field, as well as uh, three or four of us up in the press box, we all have specific things that we're looking for. And my first obligation is to make sure that uh, I'm looking for the things that we need to be seeing as a D-line group with regards to, you know, what the offense may be showing us. But what I try to look look at uh, when the offense breaks the huddle is, you know, what the formation is and what play tendencies they've shown off of that formation. And then once they're about to snap the ball, I pretty much zero in on the area between the tackles and um, just, just try to look at uh, schemes and, um, you know, making sure that our guys are lined up correctly, they're in the right spots, and then hopefully making the right reactions to the things that we're seeing from the offense. And then is there anything – I know your eyes are probably mostly on defensive line, as you're saying, but do you ever notice anything like, oh, man, with the linebackers or with the secondary, like just have your defensive coordinator habits or are you totally zeroed in on the D-line? Well, I think depending on what you're doing from a run support standpoint, you're always going to have to take into account where the linebackers and safeties come into the fit, so to speak. And so um, just depends on the play, but uh, normally – there's going to be times where you not only have to see what's going on with the front four, but you also have to figure out, um, you know, if there's a linebacker or two or a safety that, uh, that come into the fold, that they're in the right spots as well. So you kind of learn to pick that all up and put it together. And again, hopefully everybody's in the right place, but if there's a breakdown, be able to convey that down to the sideline coaches. And then how often are you looking for things to adjust in games versus looking for things to adjust, you know, the next day looking at film or that week in practice? Well, in the, in the games, I think it's once once the ball gets kicked off, you're, you're going full throttle on any kind of adjustment that might help you for the course of the 60 minutes. Um, there's never a time where you're not thinking about those things. Um, but most of those adjustments come, obviously, when the players get to the sideline and then in the in the locker room at halftime. But, um, you know, as you get organized as a staff and learn to communicate together, um, there's uh, just dialogue and things like that that are going on over the headsets. Obviously, you're, you're trying to make sure that you're efficient with your time when the players do get to the sideline, when they do get to the locker room, so that you can be real clear and concise with them. Uh, about what it is you want to change, if anything. And so um, that that's just ongoing discussion that ha- happens throughout the course of the game. And then from a game planning standpoint, what does your how does your role as assistant defensive line coach fit in with that, along with that background um, that you have as a defensive coordinator before? Right. 
Well, the way we do it, and I don't know how other staffs do it, but we sit down together and uh, we look at a lot of film throughout the course of the week together, practice film as well as game film of the opponent. And so um, most cases, assistant coaches are, are looking at their position and trying to watch um, things that might affect how we place, you know, our defense um, based on what the offense is doing. But, you know, when you have, you know, years of experience to draw from, obviously, for me, I tend to look at things from a little bit bigger picture standpoint, maybe than other people might, just because of the experiences that I have to draw from. So if there's something that I can, um, you know, that I can contribute that helps, um, you know, obviously I'm going to bring that up and we'll talk about it. But, uh, you know, the way we start out on, on Sundays is uh, Coach Parker and the secondary guys are, are looking a lot more of the pass game. Coach Wallace, Coach Bell, myself, we're looking a lot more of the run game. And then we kind of, as as we get into Monday, Tuesday, we start merging that all together from the, the back end to the front end and uh, putting it all together, which is uh, kind of a generic answer, but it's, it's tough to get in too much detail without confusing people who don't really understand how this all works. And then with that background that you have as a division three coach, what did you enjoy most from your experience at Simpson? Well, I think the biggest thing that's different there is just uh, the guys that play at that level are playing for the love of the game. A lot of the things um, that, that you find now, especially with NIL going on and the transfer portal going on, those things weren't in play. Uh, back when I was coaching at Simpson, so that wasn't really a factor. But nevertheless, I think when you're dealing with a uh, you know non-scholarship football, you know, guys are pretty much there playing because they really love the game. There's great camaraderie in the locker room. The guys have a um, uh, a real appreciation for their education and, and their degree, and and they do here. It's not to say that they don't here, but there's just a little bit different emphasis on that and how that, that all plays into the. Um, the philosophy of that level compared to, you know, power five football, but uh, any, it was, it was enjoyable. Is there anything that you really took away from that experience? Well, I think as a head coach, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things you take away from it. Probably the biggest thing is just realizing that uh, when you're in charge of something more than just a position group or more than in charge of just even a whole side of the ball, like you would be as a coordinator, um, it just gives you an appreciation for what someone like Coach Ferentz has to take into consideration when he's making decisions that are best for our program. I think as a, as a position coach, it's pretty easy to get pigeonholed into what's best for my group, what's best for my guys, you know, how, how is this going to impact me? But uh, when you've been a head coach before, I think you can take a step back and see things from more of a 10,000-foot view and realize that uh, head coaches have a lot more to consider than just what might impact you or your position group. And then there aren't many people who have experience at all four division one programs in the state of Iowa. It's like, you've gotten the full grand tour of Iowa. <laughs> I say, I don't know if that's good or bad, but yeah, I've, I've, I've been around the horn. <laughs> I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh no, sorry. Uh, what is it about Iowa that keeps on bringing you back here throughout your coaching career? Well, I think first and foremost, this is where our family's from. This is where my wife and I were born and raised. This is where Ben and Nick spent a chunk of their life. Um, the quality of living is good. Uh, all these universities within the state do a good job, you know, with education and with athletics. I think people in the state of Iowa, I hope they realize how fortunate they are to see 
you know, quality of football being played at the major institutions as well as places like Grandview and Morningside that are a little bit under the radar, but have, have and Warburg even, um, some of those schools that have done really well on a national level. There's a lot of really good football being played in this state. And uh, the, it's a real treat for the for the people who live here to uh, to be able to see that and, and uh, experience that. And then when you got here, well, more like when you returned here and got the Iowa job, how helpful was it to already have so much institutional knowledge of the state of Iowa? Well, I think it's it's huge in recruiting. Um, you know, when I was at Drake, when I was at Simpson, when I was at Northern Iowa, those those uh, coaching and recruiting experiences kept me tied into the coaches within the state and uh, stayed connected to a lot of those coaches. Even when I left, uh, when I was out at Northern Illinois, I would come back and recruit in Iowa. And um, just when, when Coach Ferentz hired me here, it was just a real natural fit for me to get back into the state uh, where I had so many recruiting ties and connections and friendships and, and to be able to walk into those high schools and be a familiar face. Um, it just took a lot of uh, layers and steps out of recruiting that um, where you have to build rapport and trust with high school coaches that because I'd already done there that and, and been through that process with them before. So that was really helpful. And then with your recruiting territory, which includes central Iowa, you're not just competing with the likes of Iowa State and Nebraska. In some cases, you've been competing for recruits and in Xavier Wampa's case, beat schools for recruits like Alabama, like Ohio State. How or what do you think has been the reason for Central Iowa getting or producing such highly touted recruits? That's a great question. Um, you know, looked at a lot of the uh, numbers of offers that have gone out, particularly over the last five years. And I, th I think at least it seems to me without going all the way back to maybe, you know, 10 or 15 years ago that, uh, the offer numbers are up. The recruiting um, traffic is, is greater than it ever has been before. Uh, so I, I think, first of all, the credit has to go to the high school coaches and all the great jobs that they've done with their programs within the state. Now, the competition's just gotten better and better. Uh, the, the guys have, uh, the guys meaning the high school players, have obviously trained harder, uh, have progressed better, and it's just uh, created, a, I think, an overall higher level of quality of play probably than what we've seen. And it's, uh, it's continuing to trend uh, upward in that direction. So it's fun to watch. It's fun to be a part of and see and uh, to be able to get involved in recruiting some of these guys. But uh, yeah, like you say, the, the recruiting competition is no longer just regional. It's now national. How much, or how do you distinguish yourself when you've got the likes of Nick Saban or you name other high profile coaches who are coming into flying into Des Moines and also trying to court these players? Well, there's a great reputation, not only within the state, but around the country for the university of Iowa and its football program. And, you know, when you go in there and you can throw coach Ferentz's name out there on the table, that stacks right up there with all the best of them. I was just reading through some data the other day and he he's pretty close to uh, surpassing um, Bo Schembechler, I think it is, as far as a number of uh, total wins uh, within the Big Ten and puts him way up there um, in terms of uh, win-loss uh, record for uh, head coaches um, all, of all time. So, you know, to, to be able to go in there and, and uh, just represent this university and him as our head coach in this football program 
it, uh, it, it puts you ahead of a lot of the other schools um, right out uh, right out of the gate. And obviously being an in-state school, it helps a ton, especially one that's had a storied tradition and uh, has had so much success like our program has. Obviously, a lot of changes in college athletics, including the transfer portal. How have you seen the portal really affect the recruiting process for you? Well, this year we probably got more into it uh, than what we had in previous years. And I think that's going to be kind of something that just ebbs and flows a little bit from year to year based on our needs. I know there's lots of programs out there that are heavily portal based. um, And I kind of I kind of compare that like to when Bill Snyder was at K-State and he went the junior college route and had so much success doing it. It worked for Kansas State. That was good for them. Um, and so a lot of schools, I think, have taken that same philosophy and put it into uh, to play in their program with portal recruiting. You know, we still want to be high school based and we will continue to stay high school based. And I think we'll just um, – and I'm not trying to speak for anybody else, but this is just my opinion on it. I think we'll we'll stay high school based and just, um, you know, pick and choose our, you know, where we have to recruit in the portal based on the needs of our roster. And that's going to vary from year to year based on who's coming back and who we're losing and, and all those things that come into play as you're trying to balance that out. Overall, are you a fan of the portal? I think it's, there's, there's good um, reasons for that to be uh, – in play and in existence, uh, certain cases, there's, there's young men that, uh, probably need to have a fresh start and an opportunity. Um, obviously there's, you know, the other side of me says that, um, there's some, some guys that, uh, need to learn to battle and fight through, uh, adversity and some, you know, problems that, that, that they may have that they're able to just walk away from and, and go look somewhere else to, to have that problem solved. And I don't think that's necessarily the best thing for young people. You know, sometimes you have to learn to, to stay in there and fight the fight and keep working and uh, earn your way up the, you know, totem pole on the roster and on the depth chart and just to, to learn to stay with it and, and to compete. Uh, because when you get out in the real world and whether you're in business or whatever it is you do, that's going to be how it is. Uh, you're going to have to learn to, to stay in there and, and find ways to become successful, even though maybe some of the circumstances that you're dealing with are hard uh, to, to work through. So um, there's two sides to the coin and, um, there's there's certainly a place for it though do you find yourself having to manage expectations more with recruits when if they have this sense that or if they end up kind of building up this unrealistic sense of what could be ahead just especially at a developmental program that they might otherwise decide to transfer um i'm not sure if i understand your question correctly but uh you know, guys, we, we just have to do our – we've kind of taken the approach that we're going to be who we are as a program. Um, you know, people talk all the time about, hey, you know, you got to recruit your roster now because of the portal and the NIL and all the stuff that's going on. And, you know, I think if you're running your program the right way, kids kids are going to gravitate towards wanting to be there. And we, we always say, hey, we're not holding anybody hostage here. We want guys to be here because this is where they want to be. This is where they love to be, and they're dying to be at Iowa. Um, if for some reason they don't want to be, there's really not a whole lot you can do to prevent that, I don't think. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to treat guys right. We're going to work hard, do the things that we do to try to be a successful program, and hopefully that fits, and hopefully it makes the players who want to be here continue to stay. And, um, 
you know, so far that it's working pretty good for us. And then switching gears a little bit to the 2023 defensive line, obviously Deontay Craig took quite the step up from 2021 to 2022. What do you think could be in store for him in 2023? Well, uh, you know, more of the same and hopefully a little bit more of it. Uh, maybe a little even higher level. Uh, he's he's done a great job of putting himself in position to to be a, an impact player, and um, he's worked hard. I know throughout the off season, through the spring ball, and this summer as well. And you know, if he just stays on that uh, that continuum of of uh, improvement and stays uh, humble and improvement driven, then you know, hopefully we'll we'll continue to see more of the same of what he's done. But uh, he's he's still got. Uh, a ceiling that to reach there's still room for improvement that's the good news and uh, i think he's working hard to try to get there so don't want to put expectations on, on his head or anything like that but you know we would expect a good year from deontay and then with aaron graves saw a lot of him as a true freshman what have you seen from him in this kind of key developmental year from year one to year two just uh, a lot of continued improvement. Um, you know, as you said, he played a lot as a young guy last year. And um, I think sometimes people see that and they, they expect, a, you know, um, a finished product, so to speak. But he's still really young. And uh, I think he made a lot of progress in the spring, despite the fact that he played a lot as a young guy in the fall. Uh, I, I think he took a big step in the spring. He's a really competitive guy, a real student of the game, the son of a high school coach. Uh, a lot of good intangible qualities there, a really humble, hardworking guy. And, um, again, if he just stays, uh, you know, keeps continuing to do the things that he's been doing and uh, has the good attitude that he's presented so far, I think he's just going to continue to climb and improve and do well. So we're excited for Aaron. Not very often that you have the experience of guys like Joe Evans, like Noah Shannon, like Logan Lee. Logan, who from, like, a maturity standpoint – I think Kurt Farron said last year is like a 42-year-old man. How helpful is it to have that much experience, that much maturity on one defensive line? Uh, it's monumental. Uh, if you go back just a couple of years ago, people were talking about concerns that they they had with our youth and our inexperience. And, you know, fortunately, we came through with a really good year. But now some of those guys that they thought were really young and, and maybe not quite ready at the time are, are now at the front of the line. They're juniors and seniors. And so uh, it's really exciting uh, just to, to know guys uh, are, are getting ready to play again who really know the system and have done a, a good job playing within that system. And what's really impressive to me is see them to see them uh, take the new guys, the young guys, uh, and, and um, develop them and help them uh, learn our system and just mentor them uh, when that's been going on throughout the course of the summer. I know the guys that you just mentioned have done a great job reining in, you know, new players in the program and, and guys who maybe only have a year in the system and just help them continue to learn and grow and grasp the system and, and uh, evolve so that we can kind of keep this tradition of, of D-line going. And then I obviously have mentioned a lot of names. Is there anybody that really has stood out to you in terms of making an especially big leap from the end of last year through spring? Well, I hesitate to, to get too much into name and names. I think as a group, they've all progressed. Uh, you know, guys like Ethan Herkett, Max Llewellyn also played last year and uh, did a good job. Max, not 
quite as much as Ethan, but I think they both had really good springs. Um, we're anxious to get Wyatt Black back out there. He's dealt with a, an assortment of injuries throughout the course of his career, and if we can get him through a, an entire training block and a fall camp and then on into the season, uh, I really think that he's got a huge upside and a lot of good football out in front of him, and there are others too, but uh, as you said, there's there's just a really good nucleus of players who are, I think, going to be ready to play. And uh, we've shown over the course of time that, you know, we'll play anywhere from eight to 10 of those guys in a ball game and rotate them through and get them all snaps. Uh, that just makes us better over the long haul. It keeps guys competitive and hopefully healthy and uh, gives us a chance to put fresh players in the game in the fourth quarter. You know, when the game's on the line, so we continue to to really play hard through the whole 60 minutes of the ball game. But we've got a, a really good group of guys that are working hard and doing a good job. And it's going to be exciting to watch them go to work. I'm sure over your very long coaching career, you've had years where you don't have the eight to 10 guys on the defensive line who can really play. How much of a difference does that make when you get to week 11, week 12, and you have that really exceptional level of depth there? Well, it makes a huge difference. Um, you know, guys just get nicked up over time. They get worn down and uh, just stands to reason if you've got eight to ten as opposed to maybe four or five or six, it just puts you way ahead. And um, not only just from the standpoint of being able to put fresh people out there, but it just keeps the group competitive. I think they all know they have to play well to, to maintain their role and to continue to get reps uh, because the competition is just, you know, it's fierce enough, uh, and it's it, there's just enough depth there that um, if you don't keep your, your A game out there on the table, then somebody else is going to be looking to, to take those reps away from you. So it just uh, – it's positive, and it's good. It's healthy, but it keeps guys on their toes, and it keeps them sharp. And uh, it, it, uh, it's good to have a group of guys that can be fresh yeah, going late into the season. And then a fun note here, what was it like a couple of years ago getting to see Ben win a Super Bowl? Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, I, I don't know if I could, people have asked me that uh, since it happened, and I still don't know if it's really possible to put it into words, uh, to, to be there and to watch it uh, in person meant a lot to, to me and our family, my wife, Luann. Uh, we had a number of people there that were, were there to watch the game with us, and uh, it was a fantastic experience. Obviously, it's, it's really cool to see uh, one of your own children get to the kind of the you know, the ultimate top of the mountain, so to speak, uh, as far as playing in a, the, the biggest game of all when it comes to our, our sport and to win that game and be a part of uh, that experience and to be in that locker room and, and uh, go through that that moment. Uh, can't can't uh, really put it into words, but it was a fantastic experience. And uh, no matter what happens, that'll be one of those things in life that you look back on and just uh, you'll always cherish that moment. Has he let you put on the ring? Uh, <laughs> I actually did once. Yeah. Uh, so I, I had to see what the, the things, it's a chunk. It's uh, it's a big old bulky, as you could imagine, a uh, nice piece of jewelry, but yeah, I, I had to put it on once just to see what it felt like. <laughs> <laughs> was he wearing that ring too when he got married or, you know, was it no, just the wedding ring? No, no, that's, that's one of those rings you, you don't break out. You pretty much, you kind of put in a box and you set it aside somewhere safe and secure. And I'm sure on, Certain occasions, he'll probably get it out, but uh, not very often. Yeah. Well, Jay, thanks for joining me. 
Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. And I hope you have a good rest of your summer. Thank you. Pleasure has been all mine. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into another episode. Until next week, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.